So we have been taking this whole summer to walk through the book of Psalms, and today we come to the very last one. Uh, it's a short one. It's only six verses long, but it is such the perfect conclusion for the book of Psalms because it really brings together uh, everything that we've been looking at in the Psalms that we've seen and kind of puts a final exclamation point on it. I actually think that this Psalm is giving the final answer to the question that was raised at the very beginning of the Psalms. We actually didn't look at Psalm 1 in this particular series. We did it in a series we did a few years ago. But, but look with me at the very first thing, first words in the first verse of the first Psalm. It starts out, blessed is the one. And it goes on from there. And that, that Hebrew word translated blessed could also be translated happy. And so it's really asking the question, who's really happy and blessed? What, what kind of person, what kind of approach to life leads to real, deep, lasting happiness? And in, in some way, all 150 Psalms have been helping us to, to answer that question from different angles, from different life situations, different emotions. They're all kind of answering that question. What is it that really leads to, to happiness in a person's life? Um, what you're going to hear today is the thing you should remember about the book of Psalms. Even if you, know, you forget, if someone asks you in November, hey, didn't you look at the Psalms last the summer at the chapel? What did you, what'd you learn? I hope that this is the answer you give. I mean, this is, if you forget everything else, you should know this. But I have to tell you, what you're going to hear today, this, this answer to where happiness comes from, this is a countercultural answer to that question. This is not what you'd normal, normally hear walking around the streets. Because in our culture, more and more, um, what we hear is that the reason for our deepest problems is we have low self-esteem. And so if you really want to be happy, if you really want to be fulfilled, you have to figure out a way to raise your self-esteem. You hear that all the time, right? You have to get a higher view of yourself. You hear it in, in sometimes in books and pop psychology and talk shows, sometimes in education. You even hear this sometimes in pulpits. There's a, a, a well-known preacher who often says, if you want to be happy, stop thinking about what's wrong with you and start thinking about what's right with you. What we're about to read in the Psalms is, is, is an extremely different answer. Um, in fact, we're about to hear that the path to happiness is not about focusing on yourself at all. It's about taking your focus off of yourself and thinking about something much bigger than you. Uh, that's where happiness really comes from. That's what the Psalms have been teaching all through the Psalms. This last one shouts it to us in a way that we just can't miss. So, Let's read this psalm together. We've actually heard some of it already this morning in our worship. We don't normally do this at the chapel, but I'm going to ask, would you stand for the reading of the word today? And, and the part we really don't usually do is we don't usually do um, congregational reading, but we are today. Let's read this psalm together, and I invite you as we read it to open your heart to the word of God. So read this together, Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with timbrel and dancing. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And this is the word of the Lord. And it is awesome. 
to hear you say it together. You may have a seat. Well, I don't know if you noticed that the first line and the last line in that psalm are exactly the same. Did you notice what that, that line was? Praise the Lord. Um, anybody know what that is in Hebrew, by the way? Hallelujah. Just means praise the Lord. In fact, the last five Psalms, 146 through the end, are known as the Hallelujah Psalms because every one of them starts with praise the Lord, ends with praise the Lord. So it's got to be an important concept, right? So the Hebrew word for praise, the verb is halal. It's where we get hallelujah. The verb is halal. It can be translated to praise or to glory in or to boast in. Isn't that interesting? So there's a kind of a famous verse in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23, that says this, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom or the rich man boast in his riches or the strong man boast in his strength. And it's using that same word, halal. Don't halal in those things. Like whatever you have going for you, if you're smart, if you're strong, if you're, if you're wise, don't, don't give your hallelujahs to, the, to that stuff. Don't boast in, in what you have to offer. Don't start worshiping yourself. That would be a big mistake. And that's exactly what the Psalms have been telling us, that true happiness, true fulfillment comes when we direct our halal, our, our glory, our, our boast, our praise, at, at, not at ourselves, <laughs> but at God, outside of ourselves. That's when life gets good. And, and when that happens, self-esteem just tends to take care of itself. So if I had to summarize the message of this psalm, Psalm 150, in one sentence, here's what I would say. The path to happiness, here it is, is to praise the Lord for all he is with all you've got in all of life. The path to happiness is to praise the Lord for all he is with all you've got in all of life. So let's kind of unpack that one phrase at a time. First, praise the Lord for all he is. When C.S. Lewis was a young Christian, he really struggled with the idea of praise because he said, what kind of an insecure God needs people to tell him how great he is all the time? What's up with that? And then he says, I I, I realized something that I completely was overlooking about praise. Um, In his book, Reflections on the Psalms, he wrote this. The most obvious fact about praise, whether of God or anything, strangely escaped me. I thought of it in terms of compliment, approval, or the giving of honor. I'd never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. The world rings with praise. Lovers praising their mistresses, readers their favorite poet, walkers praising the countryside, players praising their favorite game, praise of weather, wines, dishes, actors, motors, horses, colleges, countries, historical personages, children, flowers, mountains, rare stamps, rare beetles. You can tell this was written in the 1950s, right? Not not much praise of stamps and beetles nowadays. Even sometimes politicians or scholars. I had, listen to this, I had not, uh, not noticed how the humblest and at the same time the most balanced and capacious minds praised the most while the cranks, misfits, and malcontents praise the least. You see what he's saying? Praise is not some religious concept, just like a church thing. It's just what we do when we're really impressed with something. When we're, when we're, we're excited about it, we praise it. We talk it up. We can't stop getting fired up about it. So in Psalm 119, verse 2, it gives us two things about God that we're invited to get impressed with. Praise him for his acts of power and praise him for his surpassing 
greatness. So when you think about God's acts of power, what comes to mind? I mean, my mind just goes straight to creation, right? I think about the the breathtaking images being beamed back to Earth from the James Webb Space space Telescope. We looked at some a few weeks ago. Amazing. I think about the glass-like surface of the lake where my son got married last weekend. It was awesome. I think about the, the, the wind rustling the leaves of the trees in the park by my house as I walk through it early in the morning or late on a summer evening. Maybe you think about the, the richness of the soil as you go out to your garden and you harvest late August tomatoes. However you experience the richness and, and the joy of the natural world, it exists because God put it there. And so here's what this psalm is saying. Let your enjoyment of that, of the created world, move you to praise the creator. Are you with me? Because sometimes we stop with the thing, right? We praise the stars and we praise the soil or the trees. And so saying, no, 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 allow those things to turn your gaze upward to the one who created it and be amazed with him. Of course, God's acts of power, it's not just limited to creation. It also includes the miraculous things he's done for his people over the years. You know, the the parting of the Red Sea for the people of Israel, the, the miracles, the resurrection of Jesus. It also includes the amazing, powerful things that he's done in your life. I think of the birth of my four children. I mean, talk about acts of power. It's amazing. I think about those times driving on the highway when I've lost focus and probably should have crashed, and yet I didn't. I view that as God's merciful act of power in my life. I think about the time almost exactly two years ago when I was drowning in the Atlantic Ocean and the beach was almost empty and one guy happened to notice I was struggling and ran to get a lifeguard who came out and rescued me. Got any times like that in your life where you're like, yeah, I probably would have been dead if God didn't come through somehow? his acts of power. And so when we learn to see those things as opportunities to go, wow, wow, we become happy and blessed people. Praise him for his acts of power. And then it says, praise him for his surpassing greatness. Like just because of who he is. I've noticed this over the years. If you've been around church for a while, especially I would say if you grew up in the church, you can just you can just be completely um, blind, just completely take for granted the incredible God of the Bible, right? It just, because we've heard it so many times. The fact that, that we have this God who is holy and powerful and is the judge and at the same time is merciful and kind and compassionate. Like not one or the other, he's both in one God. Like praise him for his surpassing greatness. If, that, if it's hard for you to picture what I'm saying, it's like, well, these are just words. You have to think about Jesus, right? Because Jesus came as God in the flesh. It says in John 1, he came from the Father full of grace and truth. He wasn't just gracious and kind. He wasn't just truthful and just. He was both in perfect measure. He was the roaring lion and the gentle lamb. He stood in a boat and calmed a fierce storm by yelling at it, basically, and he picked up little children in his arms. This is what our God is like because Jesus perfectly represents God. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. That a God like that would love us, would want a relationship with us, and it's, it's almost too good to be true. How could we not praise a God like this? 
And so society says, you want to feel good about yourself, you want to be happy, you got to work on getting your self-esteem up. You know, learn to compliment yourself. Positive self-talk. This psalm invites you to be amazed with God himself. To turn your eyes on him. Praise God for all that he is. His acts of power, his surpassing greatness. Secondly, praise the Lord with all you've got. With all you've got. So verse three, four, and five give this list of instruments, right? Um, Horns, uh, it talks about stringed instruments like harps and lyres, wind instruments like pipes, uh, lots of percussion. Did you notice the timbrel, which is like, which is like the, the, a tambourine? Where's lithia? The, the turn instrument, right? And, and it talks about cymbals and clashing cymbals. Um, and then it talks about dancing, right? That was actually a big part of Hebrew worship. When you read all that, what, what vibe do you get? Like what kind of worship scene is this? It's like, yeah, it's like someone said, woo. It's like exuberant and loud and celebratory, highly expressive, right? This is why we do what we do in musical worship. I mean, this is why we rehearse. And, you know, this doesn't just happen on Sunday mornings. We rehearse and, and the musicians individually practice their instrument. They work on things during the week. This is why we fill the stage with maybe not the same exact list as is here. That would be kind of interesting to try to do that. But we praise God with the bass. We praise God with the guitar. We praise God with the cello. We praise God with, with the tambourine, with the drum. Doesn't music do something to our hearts that just the spoken word can't do? Right? If we just sat here and just kind of read verses or spoke truth, there's something about music that grabs our emotions and lifts them into the presence of God. Um, we need music. So praise God with all you've got, with every instrument you can think of. It's it's all good. But I also think this is broader than music because this is teaching us to worship the Lord, not just with every instrument we have, but with everything we have. Uh, And that's going to look different for a lot of different people. For many years, I've admired this artist named Makoto Fujimura. Born in the U.S. in uh, 1960 to uh, to, uh, Japanese parents, realized at a young age, he just had this gift for art. I mean, it just came out naturally. And so he began to you know, develop his art gift. He also had this spiritual hunger. He didn't know what to do with it. His parents didn't really know what to tell him. So it was actually when he was doing his master's studies in Tokyo that he came to faith in Jesus Christ. He has become a world-renowned artist. His, his work's been displayed in the best galleries. He's lectured all over the world. His main topic is how, how faith and art fit, fit together. So I love this simple quote. Fujimura said, I consider my life and my art to be an offering to worship our living God. Isn't that a great concept? Like he doesn't play, I don't, I don't know if he plays an instrument, but, but he, he, that's not what he's talking about. His instrument is his, his paintbrush. And to him, that's an act of worship to God. And the reason that excites me is because some of you are not musicians or artists, but God has given you gifts and talents. Wouldn't it be amazing if you're a teacher going back to school this fall to say, I consider my lesson plans, my time with my students to be an act of worship to God. Psalm 150 might say, praise him with your lesson plans. You can actually do that. Some of you are, you know, research chemists. I consider my research to be an act of worship to God. Praise him with your research. Praise him with your accounting. Praise him with your Uber driving. Praise him with your your diaper changing, right? Whatever God has called you to do, it's like you praise him by talking about him whenever you can, when you get opportunities to speak his name, right? 
but you also praise him even when you're not speaking about him. By doing what you do with excellence and with passion, it becomes an act of worship that you lift up to God. So praise God with, with, with all you've got, with the best of, of, of what you have. It says in 1 Corinthians 10.31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. And that's what this is teaching us. So instead of worrying about our self-esteem, focus on God, praise him for all that he is, and whatever you've got, praise him with all you've got. And then one more thing, I think this is probably the hardest part, praise the Lord in all of life in all of life. Verse one says, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty heavens. So his sanctuary is talking about the temple that the Jewish people would gather and worship him in that sanctuary. And then it says, and praise him in the highest heavens, like, like you know, up, up in the sky, the furthest reaches. And the implication is, and everywhere in between, wherever you are, the familiar of the temple or the, the unfamiliar of all the way out there, wherever you are, it's the right thing. You never have to stop and ask, is this a good moment for praise? Because the answer is, yep, it is. It says in Psalm 33.1, it is fitting for the upright to praise him. Psalm 147, one, how pleasant and fitting to praise him. In other words, no matter where you are, no matter what's going on, it's always appropriate to turn your attention to God and praise him. Praise him all of life. But let's be honest. There are some moments in life that it's harder to praise than others, right? One of the emotions we looked at through the Psalms was gratitude. So when you're feeling gratitude, is it easy to praise then? Absolutely, right? I just got to raise. Praise you, God, for that. That flows kind of natural. I just finished my, my round of, of radiation therapy. I'm cancer-free. Praise God. Right? When you're feeling gratitude, praise just flows. But think of some of the other emotions that we looked at in the series. Confusion, anger, instability, injustice. A little tougher to praise then, isn't it? But, you know, I think that's maybe the more important times to praise God when it doesn't come as easy. Job chapter one, first chapter of Job, he gets this report of these tragedies that have fallen on his family, right? Disasters. And look how Job responds. Job one, verse 20. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Those were acts of of mourning. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Man, that's praise. In the book of Habakkuk, God tells the prophet Habakkuk that painful judgment is about to fall in Jerusalem. And look how the prophet responds, Habakkuk 3.17. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. That's praise right there. I think about Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16. Remember, they got arrested in the city of Philippi for causing a public disturbance. They're unjustly beaten, put inside a prison cell. They're locked up. Their feet are put in the stocks. And in Acts 16, 25, it says about midnight, Paul and Silas were cursing and contacting their attorney. No, wait. (laughs) Sorry. In a different version. Acts 16, 25. Uh, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them, praying and singing. Man, there's some grit in that praise, isn't there? 
Back in 2010, I'd almost forgotten about this. There was a horrific earthquake that hit the nation of Haiti. Um, countless buildings lost, 100,000 lives lost. 100,000, isn't it amazing how the news cycle moves on for like the next tragedy? It was a terrible, terrible disaster. And there was an NPR article right after that summarized it like this. For the Western Hemisphere's poorest country, the earthquake was an especially cruel blow. Despite this, it's hard to find a Haitian who doesn't profess belief in a loving God. And it was true. As a whole, the Haitian people maintained their faith. And it was such an amazing scene because those first few nights, no one went back into their house. Everyone thought their house might collapse. So everyone stayed outside and there was no electricity. The power grid was completely down. It was dark except for the stars in the sky. And those first few nights, under just starlight, on the hills of Haiti, all over the country, you could hear the voices rising up. And there were voices of lament and mourning because of the loss, but they were also voices of hope and praise. Man, that's praise. No matter what's going on, and I believe that it's in those times of life that it's the most meaningful that we praise God. One commentator said it like this, our reasons for praising him, his mighty deeds and his glory overall, always eclipse and outweigh what we suffer. And all the more so now that Christ has come, died, and risen. God doesn't minimize or neglect our suffering, but his goodness to us always outshines the trials he hands us. And so the psalmist can say to every one of us at every moment of our lives, praise the Lord. The happiest people are people who've learned to praise him in all of life, especially the painful times. And then at the very end, before the final hallelujah, verse six says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And so not just humans, like all of creation is being invited in to lift their praise up to God. And if you go back two chapters to Psalm 148, it gives a little more detail of who's being invited to this, this sort of praise party. Look at Psalm 148, beginning in verse seven. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all ocean depths, lightning and hail, snow and clouds, stormy winds that do his bidding. You mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals and all cattle, small creatures and flying birds, kings of the earth and all nations, you princes and all rulers on earth, young men and women, old men and children. In other words, everyone is invited to join in this chorus of praise. It's what they were designed for. It's what, it's, this is what we were made for. We are most fully alive and most fully human when we are living lives of praise. And when we do that, even though we're not focused on finding happiness, like I'm going to do this so I can get happy, we're focused on God, and yet happiness tends to, to sneak up on us when we're praising God. So many voices that are telling you it's all about self-esteem, self-fulfillment, it's just not true. The path to happiness is to praise the Lord for all he is with all you have in all of life. So I have so personally enjoyed being in the Psalms this summer. And so as we look back on the series that we've done, I want to just remind us of some of the emotions and life situations we've looked at and how in all of them, it's time to praise the Lord. So I'm going to invite you to rise to your feet, if you would. And so I'm going to just call out all 11 emotions that we've looked at through the Psalms. And after each one, I'm going to invite you, if you're comfortable, to say, we praise you, Lord. 
All right? Don't be afraid just to shout it out. Um, you, can, you, know, you, can, you can jump it out, dance it out, whatever you want. Just, we're going to say together, we praise you, Lord. You ready? In times of despair, we praise you, Lord. In times of fear, we praise you, Lord. In times of injustice, we praise you, Lord. In times of waiting, we praise you, Lord. In times of gratitude, we praise you, Lord. In times of stress, we praise you, Lord. In times of guilt, we praise you, Lord. In times of restlessness, we praise you, Lord. In times of instability, we praise you, Lord. In times of confusion, we praise you, Lord. Lord, for all that you are, with all that we've got, and in all of our lives, together we say, we praise you, Lord. Let's just show God our praise. Let's put our hands together. Amen. Even if you, even if you forget everything else we did in the series, remember this moment. It is always, always, always time to praise the Lord. And so we're going to finish this series, How Can We Not?, with a song of praise. I'm going to invite our musicians back up for a final song while they come up. Let's pray together. Father, would you save us from the lie that life is all about fixating on ourselves, focusing on ourselves, working on our self-esteem. Father, would you free us from that prison and turn our hearts and our eyes to you? Show us, Lord, what it means to savor your greatness. Lord, to use whatever you've given us, whatever's in our hand, whether it's a musical instrument or anything else, to bring praise to you. And Lord, help us learn to do that, not only in good times, but in the hardest times of life as well. I pray that, Lord, we would learn the joy of worshiping and praising you. Help us to do that well now as we close this series. In Jesus' name, amen.